Welcome to episode 201 of SoccerWorks, where we take a look at how soccer works in the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to the SoccerWorks Roundtable Series, live at the bar of the U.S. Soccer AGM. This is a conversation with Daryl Marcel. Welcome to SoccerWorks Roundtable Edition at the bar of the U.S. Soccer AGM. And uh, delighted to have our guest, Daryl Marcel, who is uh, stopping by to have a quick chat. Daryl, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you at now and, and where are you from originally? I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago. Okay. Um, played soccer for Trinidad and Tobago. Um, attended school at Howard University and lived in Maryland for over 20 years and moved to Seattle, Washington about eight years ago to be an assistant director to the second largest club in the state. Um, since then, uh, started my own club called FC Bellevue and was a state director for an academy within the state. So you came over, I guess, for college from Trinidad, is that? No, my, my family uh, migrated to the U.S. when I was an infant, okay. um, raised in New York City, moved to Maryland when I had to go to college, obviously, and right. since then, you know, just lived and sleep soccer. <laughs> right. So you're living and sleeping soccer, which is awesome. That, that, that's our life as well in my house. So you, you're in Bellevue, Washington. You are the director of coaching for your club. Correct. And you also do uh, coaching instruction, kind of college recruiting and one of those things. What, what are some of the challenges that you've seen in running your own club um, within, you know, your setting there in Bellevue? Um, well, if you know anything about Bellevue, it's a Microsoft world, right? Um, the demographic there is, is very different than many other places in the United States. Uh, it's a money city. Um, so we're surrounded by huge clubs that the parents buy into the name of the club and not the development of the player within the club. Um, so some of the obstacles that I experience as a, you know, a DOC is that because my club is not a huge club, um, people are more tempted to go to the, the bigger club because of the name. Um, so we, we have to jump through hoops and hurdles to try and get players to understand what we're trying to accomplish at our club. Um, we're trying to produce college players and beyond. Um, but from a small club aspect, it, it, it's, dis it's difficult because of the surrounding clubs that are in the area. Um, so we, <laughs> we do everything we can to try and get kids in. Um, our program's a little bit different. And we offer speed and conditioning training and different things that, to enhance the athlete um, college education to teach the parents how their kids get recruited. A lot of parents don't understand the recruitment process. They, you know, they think if they're playing at a big club that that's going to get them, or they're playing in the ECNL, or you know, that's going to get them the college track. And nine times out of ten, that's not it. It's you know, networking, who your coach knows, how you're educated, how you market yourself to to actually be seen by some of these college coaches. So, what kind of player um, backgrounds do your players come from? Are they, um, you know, upper middle class? Are they, you know, from 
you know, what, what, what's kind of their so general? 30% of my, my uh, patrons are scholarship kids. Okay. Right? Um, so I, my, my club's very diverse. I have very wealthy people in the club. I have mid, uh, middle class people in my club, and I have, you know, people that are not as fortunate as others in the right. club. So, a little, little bit about my background. I, I started my own club a few years ago. I, uh, I don't have it now, um, but I ran it for a couple years. It was completely free to play, so we had sponsors that covered everything, and we were we were really really small. So you said you were small. I was way smaller than that, <laughs> um, because for me every kid was an expense or an investment rather than an income. Correct. Right. And so, um, but one of the things that I saw was that we were able to go into neighborhoods that bigger clubs couldn't go into or weren't willing to go into and work and build relationships and establish trust and connections. And so in our small squad of players, we had 10 countries represented every continent uh, except Antarctica. And we, we were in South Alabama. Like, wow. You, you wouldn't expect that kind of diversity when, you, you know, when you're thinking stereotyping Alabama. Yeah, Alabama, thinking, yeah. right? and, and yet we were able to pull that off. And most of these kids came to us from outside the system. So one of the things that U.S. soccer is always trying to figure out is how do we get more kids playing? How do we get more kids in the U.S. soccer family is another expression that you'll hear. Have you had have you had any issues trying to bring kids into organized sanctioned soccer, or has scholarships kind of been the solution, or is it just been you know explaining the opportunity to families? Like, what what, what is your experience? About it's that? been a little bit of all of it, um, actually. You know. Um, Educating the parents, I think, is the key, you know, because uh, when you hear premier soccer, automatically parents see a price tag, like what is it going to cost? That's the, the very first question that they ask, right? Um, so for me, it, it's it's tapping into that, that network of, of players that can't afford because, in my experience, those are the players that are hungrier. Those right. are the players that will work harder for you. Um, some of the kids that we deal with are very privileged. So, you know, they take a lot of things for granted, in my opinion. Um, and and it's, everything's handed to them. When you deal with the inner city kids, they, they show up to practice. They work hard. They're a little bit more courteous. Um, and they're eager to learn how they can excel in the sport because for a lot of them, that's their way out. There's, right. there's no other way out for them, you know. Um, in, in, in Seattle, I use my area, you know, I live in a city called Issaquah, which is a neighboring city to Bellevue. But two cities over, it's a city called Ellensburg where they pick apples and they, they pick cherries. And some of these kids are actually doing that in the mornings before they go to school, you know, so they can help their family afford just to live. Right, basic know? living. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of hard when you meet those kind of families and, and, and have to try and explain to them the cost of being a travel premier player. Um, so we try to find ways through sponsorship, through grants, um, to try and help you know, these kids obtain their, their goals. So you start your own club. You are you're trying to obviously connect with any kid that 
you know, wants to do great at soccer, wants to learn the game, love the game, developing the game, regardless of socioeconomic status or background. Um, what, as you kind of look into the future with your club, what are your goals? What are you, what are you trying to build? Where are you trying to go? Um, you know, when I, when I hear about, when I, <laughs> it's funny you say that because Premier Soccer should be a first and second team only, right? But it's become so much of a moneymaker that some of the larger clubs are A, B, C, D, E, F, right? Um, some of those teams are just glorified select or rec teams. My goal is to, to build my club where I have uh, two teams in each age group um, and maybe a training pool of kids that are not quite ready and, and, and formulate a developmental program to make sure that those players reach their goals. Um, it's been my experience that in the, in the larger clubs, we have the, the best coaches with the best teams and the, I won't say the, the worst coaches, but the, the less licensed coaches or more less experienced coaches working with the younger teams so, or the, the, the D, C, E, F right. teams. How do those kids ever make an A or B team if they don't have superior coaching? So in my club, what we do is we put our best coaches, our highly qualified coaches, with the developmental and the, the, the players that need more help so that those players reach their goals. And then when tryouts come around, instead of me looking for players outside of my own club, I can just pick from my club, right? I can right. develop within my club, you know? You see eight teams all the time, they're competing so much, and the, the, the goal is to win. And our goal is to develop, right? Um, wins and losses don't count for me until they're 16, 17 years old. That's when it really matters. Some of these clubs are focused on wins at the younger ages. So for me, if I develop the players the right way, and I have the more qualified coaches working with the less experienced players, my club will grow faster. And instead of looking for the better player from another club, I can pick within my, within my own club and, and, and have that to show as, hey, we're developing players here. We're not just taking players that are already developed or players that are maybe more technically sound than some of the players that we currently have. Right. So have you seen that that's working, like by doing that process? Have oh, you yeah. seen that that's working? Absolutely. So my club's you know, a very small club, and we already produced a national team player. So um, for me, you know, that young lady has been with us since she's been nine years old. She's currently you know, 14 years old. Um, and she's competing at the international level, which is, speaks volumes to what we're trying to do, what, the staff, what my staff is trying to do at, at NFC Bellevue. Where, where have you gone to find coaches? Are you training them? At, or, or, yeah. Have you tried to recruit in coaches? Are you, are you developing coaches at the same time as you're trying to develop players? Kind of where, where are you at with that? So I, a little bit of both. Um, we're a, a United Coaches Association member. So we post online uh, for job opportunities for coaches. I go out and I recruit. Um, what I've done, because my club is so small and we can't pay what some of the bigger clubs do, I go out and I find college, ex-college players or current college players that want to get involved in coaching and I train them and I, the club pays for their certification so that they can get educated in the sport because we all know that playing the game is one thing, but teaching it is something else. And you, you have to get educated in, 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 in how to, to translate what you know through muscle memory onto the field for these young kids that want to learn the game. Right, right, for sure. So as you are, you know, 
looking at the club that you have and the club you're trying to build, you're trying to develop. One of the, one of the questions that I I have for you that I that I often ask when I'm talking to someone who's running a club, you know, especially like a, a director of coaching type person. Do you guys have a kind of club-wide philosophy? Like this is what development looks like for our club. Here's our process. This is the way our teams are going to try to play. Where there's an identity yes. that is, you know, this is belt. This is us. This is this is FC. You know, Bellevue. FC Bellevue. So I, I started my coaching career in, in Italy with Empoli FC, um, and until I went to Italy, knew nothing about coaching. You know, at that point, I had my B license and thought I knew the game, right? Um, went there and was, you know, was blown away by how they train their kids. So we have a club-centric approach at FC Bellevue where we, we do like a circuit training with the kids. So all the, all the coaches in the club know all the players. All the players in the club know all the coaches. The kids go from grid to grid to grid. Um, on, uh, for an example, like on a Monday will be our technical day. Everything that we do on that day will be technical, including speed and conditioning trainer that's implemented. And then on a Wednesday, we'll do a tactical implementation of the things that they've, we want them to see them do throughout the week. Our Friday training session, we incorporate both, where it'll be a small-sided game where they have to incorporate what we've taught them Monday and Wednesday. Um, the Italians do it this way because they say you're, you're hands-on um, and that you can see every player. The worst thing is that you know you have coaches that may have multiple teams and you have to send an assistant coach that's not familiar with the kids, right? right. Um, and parents hate that, right? right. So in this club-centric training atmosphere, as I said, all the kids know the coaches, the coaches know the players, we all warm up, like for certain age groups warm up a certain way so that when a coach steps in or has to step in, everyone's, you know, in the norm. They're not doing anything that they're, they're not used to to make them jittery before a game or the coaches know them by name and they, they can identify what player can do what and it just makes it a more, instead of being a soccer club, we're more like a family, right? right. Because we all know each other and we, we, we kind of work together to, to develop the kids within our program. Yeah, it's a very more, just listening to this description, I, I like it. It's, it's a more organic, natural process, you yes. know, of, of relationships between players, between uh, the coaches, and, you know, and everybody involved where you're right. I mean, if you, if you go into a, a typical club environment, if a coach is not assigned to that team and they have to fill in, and you see this time and time again. Yep. You know, it's not unique to one coach or one club. It's no fault of theirs. But you'll see where a coach has to fill in, and they have no clue, not not only who the, what, who the players' names are, they don't even know, like, what their skill set are, like, where do right. they normally play, like, you know, do, do they, are they normally a starter? Do they play most of the time? Do they, what, what positions, are, what are their strengths, weaknesses, et cetera? So I really like what you're talking about in terms of the way that you're approaching the development of your players, but also I think it's the development of your coaches. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes more well, well-rounded well coaching as well, where you don't get in a rut of, oh, I've got these 15, and that's it, or these 12, and that's it. That's right. You know, and, but you're seeing, because you, you may see you may see in those circuits, I can only imagine that you see another coach doing, you know, may, maybe gives an instruction. Oh, I didn't look at it that way. Right. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Does that make and sense? It does. And 
what my experience has shown me is that in most clubs you get one coach with 19 kids and you know 15 out of the 19 are are, are technically sound and, and can do the things that you're asking to do but what about the four that are hiding you know they, they get lost in translation because they're not as as good technically they don't want to be pointed out when you have this kind of circuit training or you know club centric approach to training these kids can't hide because the groups are smaller there are more eyes on the on, on the players and now you can give more individual time to the players that need extra development without holding them back from the other group and without having them be isolated or feel that you know they're they're less inferior to the to the group that they're that they're actually playing with so this way you see the players develop a little bit faster because they're getting more individual time. Um, and the coaches now, don't, instead of managing 19, they're managing eight. Right. right. That makes sense. So the landscape that you're in, in terms of Washington and Washington State, what is, what is competition like for you? What, what's available for your, your teams to play in? What, what level is that like a um, we DA, have, ECNL? Is it something else? It's something else. We, we play um, in U.S. club in a, a league called the PSPL. Um, okay. We're trying, I guess as the club grows, the state may allow us to come into the state to be part of the state. Um, but right now, you know, we, we play in the MPL. Some of our teams play in the MPL. Our developmental teams play in the PSPL. Um, and it's a U.S. club sanctioned league. Um, there are several clubs in our area that fall under an umbrella that all fall under the state. Um, U.S. club came in and, and kind of sanctioned another league to try and help all the, the, the smaller clubs that really couldn't play within Washington State in the state league. Okay, that makes sense. So when you are looking at the development of your players, how long have you had... Um, the club, this club, you know, I know you, you, you said originally you went out as an assistant with another club and you started your own. How long have you had this club? I've had this club, this would be the fifth year. Fifth year. So, year five, you're in, you're in year five now. What are, what are the pathways for players that when you're, when you're talking to a kid or a parent, what kind of advice are you giving them? Like, what, are, what should they be looking for? How, sh how should they be trying to make connections uh, for, for future opportunities? Like, Well, I think a big part of that is, is the coaches. The coaches are the, the biggest um, marketers of their players, right? Um, the, the network that the coach will have will help open doors for players. College side, if you're in a smaller club like myself and you're affiliated with another club that has a DA, your players will have the opportunity to actually play in that environment until your club can, can create those opportunities themselves, right? So for me, um, we just try as, as every avenue that we can <laughs> to knock down to knock down doors. You know, I'm knocking on doors all the time. Like I'm here to knock on doors to find out, you know, what's going on in the state, what's going on within U.S. soccer. How can how would it affect my club? How would it affect the state that I live in? How you know will it affect the players so that we can try and bridge the gap to make more opportunities for these kids? Because the average kid, you know, can't afford, you know, right. to, to or, or families they can't they can't afford what travel soccer is is now. You know, the average the average fee in Washington State to play travel soccer is thirty five hundred dollars, and that's without 
college showcases that's without tournament fees that's without you know the other additional fees that are attacked on um, to play it at, at the premier level right so you, is this your first US soccer AGM oh no this is my fourth your fourth yeah so um, this AGM what what have you seen what have you learned is there anything that's kind of stuck out to you oh, this AGM was eye-opening for me because it's the most diverse AGM that I've been to um, I went to, this is gonna sound funny but I went to the AGM uh, in Hawaii and the average the average person's age at that AGM had to be 65 years old there was probably 10 women total um, there was about seven people of color um, and at this AGM as you can see, in the last couple of years, it's progressed where it's becoming more diverse, um, where you're seeing more women get involved, you're seeing more people of color here get involved, you're seeing younger people getting involved, and, and, and that's the, one of the big things that we don't, that I question all the time, like, where is the bridge between the old generation and the new generation of coaches or administrators for U.S. soccer? And we look around in the room now, we're probably two of the youngest guys here, right? Right, right. So for me, it's, it's networking with some of these guys to gain some of the knowledge, to find out how we can open doors so that guys like myself that are passionate about the game could get more involved and, and, and try and make a difference. So has there been this weekend any kind of information or breakout session, meeting, anything that stuck out to you? Did you did you pop in any of those sessions? Um, or has I was, it just been more general? It's been general. I went to the general meeting today and, you know, uh, sat there this morning and listened to it's it's you know, it's it's a lot of information. You know, it's a lot of information being given. It's a lot of things that they're trying to change, but nothing really stuck out to me. Everything that was on the table are, are, are issues that I've heard in the last four years. You know, um, last year the big thing was the election. The year before that was, you know, the, the, the amendments that they're going to make to to the bylaws. Right. You know, so every year it, it's something new on the table. This year it's about the adversary group and making sure that there's another vote out there that can be made by adversary groups, right? Uh, that was shot down, so that's put back on the table for next year. So to me, you know, it, it's... It's eye-opening, it's, it's rewarding that we see more people get involved, younger people, it's a little bit more diverse, but nothing really stuck out. It's, you know, to me, it's, um, it's politics. Right. <laughs> so, so with your club, with your club, when you're trying to, you're trying to build your club, the, the marketing, the branding, that that you're you're going up against at times from some of these that are that are almost like soccer machines, right? Um, are you are you in favor of merit-based competition, where you absolutely know, in, in yeah. sporting merit? Yeah, and, absolutely. So, one of the things that I I think is that you know I'm all for marketing promotion and, and all of those things, but it's getting our our clubs into systems based on merit and not might, Correct. right? Whether that might be financial, whether it be political connections, you know, instead it's, hey, I've got a group of kids and they're really good and they've earned their way into this opportunity rather than gatekeepers, Correct. right? 
So as someone who has started a club, you're five years in, you're building. If you could look into the future, say five years down the road, where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing by that point? I want to do exactly what I'm doing, developing kids. Uh, I don't want a big club. I just want to help the kids that want to learn and, and, and not make it a cash cow, you know, and that's more what I see these days, you know, clubs, instead of educating and developing, they're, they're gathering numbers um, to, to generate revenue, which is fine, right? It's the name of the game, you know, everything revolves around money more or less, but when you're dealing with kids, <laughs> your heart has to be in a different place, um, right. you know, so for me, you know, I come up against several obstacles, but we look past it because we're not trying to get too big. We just want to have, like I said, two teams in each age group and develop those players and hopefully place kids in college, you know, and give them the opportunities that some some of us didn't have as players. It's like, I never had the DA. I never had ECNL when I played. I, I had my dad and, 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 a, and, a, and a pop coach that knew the game, you know, right. and, and I think, you know, that drove, that drove me. Um, Nowadays, it's not driven by that. It's driven by what friends do you have in this club. It's clicks, right? So for me, if we can build an atmosphere that's a fun learning environment for our kids within Bellevue and keep our costs minimal and keep our teams or our, the, the, the size of our teams per age group the way a, a premier club should be with two teams, I'm good with that. You know, Futuristically, is putting our kids, all the kids that come through our program have the opportunity to play college at some point to gain an education. So, you spent some time in Italy. Yes. You're here in the States. Compare the two. Night and day. In uh, what way? It's free in Italy. <laughs> you know, they they handpick their kids, and they, they come into the academy, they eat, live, and do everything together. They, they develop a club-centric kind of family atmosphere, the same atmosphere I'm trying to develop for my club, and, and, and it's... You know, while I was there, we'd go, Empoli uh, is based, you know, centrally in Italy, and, and we would go all the way down to Rome to look for one kid, you know, and that lived in a tenement, really, a small house with four, four people living in, one bedroom, you know, and take that kid from that environment and put him into the academy where everything's paid for and the parents don't have to worry about schooling or, or anything. Here in the States, or it's, it's the complete opposite. You know, we pick you, but you got to pay. Right. You know, so, you know, it, it goes back to a conversation I was having earlier. The, the DA and the ECNL, those are for kids that can afford. If you look at U.S. national team soccer, we've picked, you know, our national team players from the DA in the last 12 years. What have we done? Right? And those are the kids that can afford. We haven't qualified for Olympics. We haven't made the Sweet 16 in the World Cup. We haven't won a World Cup. And yet we still can't see the flaws in that system as for kids that can just pay to play. You right. know, the, the kids that are going to make a difference are the kids that can't pay. You know, the parents are, you know, working two jobs to, to maintain the family life. So, you know, it's night and day compared to Italy. The development is completely different. Um, they, they, they work more as a staff. Like I said earlier, you know, coaches here are, are put on an island. They have one coach with 19 players, you know. That's not conducive to good development. You need more than one eye on, especially younger kids, to help them build the building blocks that they're gonna to need to be successful technically in, in the game. Right. So 
last question here as we kind of wrap up this chat. Sure. Th and thanks for stopping by on the show. If I could give you a magic wand and you were king of U.S. soccer for a day, what would you do with it? What would you change? What would you... I would implement uh, a, a better scouting system to identify players in inner cities and rural areas that can't afford. I would do away with this pay-as-you-go uh, DA programs and stuff like that. That should be fully funded. If, if we're really trying to pick players to represent our country, we should be paying for it. Not after they reach a certain level do we, do we take them. We have to invest in, as in the country in the development of our players. Not just because they can pay, but that they can play. You know, so for me, my magic wand would be, hey, get, away, get rid of all these acronyms that everyone chases after, and let's focus on the kids and develop the players within the country. That's what other countries in the world are doing, and we are not doing that the same thing. We are, our approach to it is completely different. Awesome. You've been great, man. Such good insight. And for everyone out there listening, are you on, are you on social media, Twitter, or anything like that? I'm on social media, yes. Okay. You got any any Twitter handle or any way people can follow you, get in touch uh, with you? Uh, FC Bellevue. Okay. Uh, on Instagram and on Facebook. Okay. Um, Daryl Marcel on Facebook. Daryl Marcel on Twitter. Awesome. <laughs> or Instagram. Fantastic. And Bud, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. It was great having a chat with you. Absolutely. Thank you. This episode is part of the SoccerWorks Roundtable series live at the bar of the U.S. Soccer AGM. This was a conversation with Daryl Marcel. I would like to thank Daryl for coming on the show. You can learn more about SoccerWorks by visiting wrk.mn forward slash SoccerWorks. Until next time.